Welcome to Horror Origins, episode number nine, The Swamp Monster. In this episode, we're going to be taking a look at the first plant-based monster to ever rise out of the fetid spore-laden muck and stagger dangerously into the midst of humanity. We're going to be examining Theodore Sturgeon's It. We'll learn a bit about the author that created it, the publication that first published the story, and then dive into a blow-by-blow of the story itself. Let's see. Compass? Check. Waders? Check. Mosquito repellent? Check. Something to fight off malevolently animated swamp slime? Yeah, I don't even know what that would be. A flamethrower? I don't have that. Yeah, but we'll be fine. Let's go! Alright, so let's start things off here by taking a look, as we always do, with the author. So, um, the man is named Theodore Sturgeon. He was born in 1918 and was most famous as a science fiction writer. But he did dabble in the weird and fantasy fiction over time. Over his lifetime, he wrote more than 400 reviews and more than 200 stories, so he was pretty prolific. In 1954, he won the International Fantasy Award for a story titled More Than Human, and was introduced into, or inducted into the Science Fiction and Fantasy Hall of Fame in the year 2000. And he even wrote a couple of Star Trek episodes, specifically the episodes titled Shore Leave and Amok Time, which um, uh, is funny here. It's the first episode to use the line, live long and prosper, which has become such a staple in that franchise, and the famous corresponding hand sign, the Vulcan uh, two-finger split. Sturgeon saw success in his lifetime, and at the height of it, in the 1950s, he was the most anthologized English-language author living. Which is great. I love it when these authors get recognized for their works. It was originally published in an unknown, in unknown magazine. Not an unknown magazine, but in Unknown Magazine, an American pulp fantasy fiction magazine that ran from 1939 to 1943 by Street and Smith. Unknown was a companion to Street and Smith's other more popular publication, Astounding Science Fiction, and it was a competitor to the Weird Tales magazine, which was the leading publishing company producing pulp fiction in, in the shock and horror genre. Unknown and Astounding were designed to, at conception, they were designed to be better in both quality and humor than Weird Tales. Unknown strove specifically to combine the commonplace of reality with the fantastic. Its pages held the stories of many well-known authors, such as L.R. Hubbard, Fritz Lieber, as well as Sprague de Camp and Fletcher Pratt. Unknown was eventually forced into a bi-monthly magazine by poor sales, and then eventually it was canceled in 1941 when the wartime paper shortages became so bad that Campbell, who was the creator, had to choose between canceling his astounding, sto- astounding science fiction magazine, which was the big one, uh, his flagship, or cutting Unknown. And so Unknown was cut. The magazine is generally regarded as the finest fantasy fiction magazine ever published, uh, despite the fact that it was not commercially successful. And in the opinion of science fiction historian Mike Ashley, it was responsible for the creation of the modern fantasy publishing genre. So, let's now take a look at the story, now that we have a little bit of where it came from, and we'll come face to face with the first monster uh, of living vegetation. 
All right. So here we go. The story begins with the creature waking up in the woods. And there's a lot of short, dumb, repetitive sentences here. And at first, when I dove into the story, I thought, uh-oh, what's going on here? Is this just a poor translation? Is there a bad version out there? But no, I think this is very deliberate of the author. He starts out slow and blunt and clunky um, because the monster itself, it doesn't really have a whole lot of deep thoughts going on just yet. It awakens and it begins to test the world around it. It starts uh, wandering around and trying to figure out what it is and what the world is. It's got a very sort of puerile, juvenile kind of quality to it. The narrative then cuts to a dog named Kimbo. And Kimbo is doing his dog thing, trying to catch a rabbit, when it comes upon the creature. Now, Kimbo is a big, vicious hunting dog. And so when the creature attacks the dog, the, the, the dog in response just leaps at it and tears its throat out. But unfortunately, the creature is just made out of rot and vegetation, and the attack is useless. The monster then brutally beats the dog beneath its crushing fists, and as it does so, it, it's learning a little bit more about how biological organisms work and how it itself is not, is not a biological organism. Enter now Alton, Drew, and Babe. Now Alton is a kind of a good-for-nothing huntsman and farmhand, and he works at his brother's farm in the area. He's doing, he's slacking off, not really doing what he's supposed to. He, he's hanging out with his brother's daughter, Babe, who's a young girl. I picture her about maybe eight years old. We find that Kimbo is Alton's dog, and that he absolutely loves his dog. They're very attached. And it's getting late, and so he tells Babe that he's going to go out and find Kimbo before it gets dark. And he goes out grabbing his gun as he heads out. Now, Alton, we learn, is quite the crack shot, perhaps his only really great quality and skill. And we also find out that he's been sort of coveting his brother's wife. And I don't really know why in the narrative that that point is made. Maybe to kind of discredit Alton at this point, so when, uh, you know, things happen, we don't feel too bad. But uh, maybe because we want to make sure that people don't see him as the main hero. We don't confuse things early on. I'm not sure. Now, the monster continues its uh, dissection of Kimbo. We find that the monster is sort of orange in color. It's huge and hulking. It has the general form of a, of a man. And that right now is not quite explained why it looks as human as it does. Now, as it's dissecting Kimbo and sort of tearing at the dog, it, it really focuses on the dog's eyes and it, it determines that they must be how the animal sees. It figures to stop seeing is then to be dead. And this is the first of many kind of assumptions that the creature makes that I don't fully understand why that leap occurs uh, other than just to be kind of a narrative device. And it, at first it bothered me, but by the end of the story, I, I just kind of accepted it as the way the monster thinks. So um, if you decide to read this story, I'd be interested to hear what your take on that is. Anyway, the, the creature notices the darkening world as the sun is setting and the loss of light, and it figures that its sight is going. 
and so it must be dying. And so it lays down and pretends to be dead. Just then, of course, Alton comes looking for Kimbo and stands right on top of the creature, but nothing happens. It looks like a bunch of swamp muck. The Alton, you know, <laughs> notices it on his shoes and is disgusted, but that's about it. We cut then to we cut then to Clissa and Corey, Alton's brother and his brother's wife. Corey has had it with his brother, and his brother's slacking. There are a million things to do at the farm, and where is he now? He's just gone, running around trying to find that damn dog of his. Clissa tries to calm him. Her husband appears, you know, she tries to express how she's worried about Alton, and that maybe he should go out and look for him before it gets too late. Plus, she likes Kimbo. She reminisces on the fact um, that Kimbo one time scared off a bear that was threatening to hurt her or her child. Corey eventually relents and tells her not to wait up. That he's going to grab his gun and he's going to give Alton a talking to and bring him back. After a time, he finds him next to the remains of the dog Kimbo. Alton knows that what killed his dog wasn't an animal. There's nothing eaten and it's all just been weirdly taken apart. And he vows revenge on the monster or the person, he thinks, that killed Kimbo. Now, Corey tries to get his brother to come home. That's what he's after. But Alton refuses. They each have this weird standoff where they're going to try to shoot each other and threaten each other with the guns that they have. But uh, eventually, Corey heads back home, and Alton waits in the cold night until dawn when he thinks that he can track the footprints of the beast uh, in, the, in the morning light. Morning comes, and Babe and Clissa are hanging around waiting for breakfast, or making breakfast. Babe is asking a lot of questions about where her uncle went and where is Kimbo, and Clissa tries to tell them to be quiet, tell her to be quiet. Babe is afraid that her father will hurt her uncle and that uh, his, her father's bad temper, temper is going to drive Alton away. She's very much attached to her uncle. Corey, we find, has gotten up early. He's in the field working uh, his animals. Um, he's got a herd of cows he's, or steer or whatever he's, he's, he's moving around. And all of a sudden, gunshots ring out. And he knows how good a shot that Alton is. And after hearing four shots, he assumes that Alton has lost his mind. Well, there's no way Alton would fire four shots unless he was trying to kill something. He rushes back to grab his gun from the house and uh, and leave and leaves Clissa and Babe and tells him to, to stay in the house as he runs off. Corey heads out and tries to find Alton in the woods. Now, as he's running through the woods, Corey sees some movement, and so he hits the dirt. Up ahead, he can see something hiding from him in the bushes. He shouts and he commands whatever is there to come out, and uh, you know, or he's going to shoot him. And when something emerges, it totally took me by surprise, and it was not something I was expecting. Now, he something comes out of the bushes, Corey jumps the gun, he fires his, his shot, and he grazes this person. It's this weird little man in a black suit that comes out of the bushes, and he now has a wounded hand where the bullet has grazed him. Corey tries to shake some sense into him. He seems kind of disturbed and not and babbling, but only learns that the strange little man found a dead body up ahead on the trail, and 
Corey directs him back to the farmhouse where his wife will bandage up his hand, and he continues on to try and find the dead body that this little man has reported. He runs down the trail, and he finds Alton. And, this, and he finds Alton the same way that Alton found Kimbo. Just torn apart and dissected in a gruesome way in the woods. The little man, for his part, um, continues down on his way towards the farmhouse, thinking how it, awesome it was that he got shot, and how... He really is now a, a man of adventure, a gentleman of adventure, with a scar, and he survived a, a bullet. The character is silly and weirdly innocent, and has this longing for adventure that seems bizarre and out of place in the story. Right behind him, as he's plodding along this sort of sunlit trail towards the farmhouse, is the monster. He's remaining hidden, sort of skulking back, and he's walking in lockstep with the little man so that his footsteps aren't observed. <laughs> the little man, after a time, figures that hanging around and dealing with the red tape after dis the discovery of what must have been a murder um, wouldn't be worth it. Comically, he stops and he drops his handkerchief, narrowly avoiding the blow from the monster who swings its colossal arm over his head. Now... Uh, he turns, he starts heading for the freeway, and the, the narrator, uh, or the monster, sees him now heading towards the freeway, loses interest in clobbering the little man, and turns and, and, and goes back into the woods. We then cut to Babe, searching in the woods for her uncle. She thinks that her father is going to, is chasing her and going to catch her and stop her from finding Alton. So she covers her tracks and uh, is pretty crafty in evading and not being seen by her father. As she's sort of up in a tree, you know, hiding and sneaking along through the woods, the tree line, she hears Alton's dying scream, right? So this, is, this has taken place just before. And so she hears the scream, and as she goes to, to turn to move further down the woods, she finds a little bag that the, the man in black must have dropped. She picks it up, and she hears the voices of uh, her father, and she just books it. She recalls playing games with her uncle in the woods, and <clears throat> calls out like a, a blue jay, which is sort of a secret signal that she has with Alton. And surprisingly, she hears uh, an answer back, and takes that to mean that her uncle is okay and wants her to meet at the secret spot. But... Uh, unfortunately and comically, we as the audience know that the second Blue Jay she hears is really just another Blue Jay. So she's being led off just randomly. Corey recovers from seeing his dead brother and begins tracking the monster, wanting vengeance himself this time. He calls out for Babe, thinking that he had seen her in the woods, but only hears a Blue Jay call back. Now, Babe makes it to the secret spot, uh, by the stream. She waits and gets bored, and then looks into the little black bag that she had picked up, and finds there's a piece of paper and some food, and uh, she eats the food, because she's hungry and a kid, and reads the paper. It's a bunch of strange clippings of wills, a statement about a missing grandfather and a reward. Perhaps um, this was the owner of the hunting lodge the little man was looking for, you know, because earlier on we find out the little man is looking for some sort of lodge, sort of half-heartedly. And here in his bag, he fi we find this missing grandfather, this presumed fortune, and this hunting lodge that no one knows where it is. The monster 
then finds the secluded spot. It sort of stumbles upon it where Babe is. This is another sort of coincidence that the author kind of puts into the story, which seems a little bit forced to me. The monster corners Babe in a narrow crevice of the rock. It's sort of like this weird, not quite cave, but enclave near, near the river. Perhaps it's too big to get in through the cleft in the rock, she thinks. Um, but the monster twists, pulling itself partially apart, and, and is able to, with its sort of vegetation, non-human powers, reach through inhumanly and grab her by the pigtails. The monster goes to examine her, and she uh, twists, and he loses grip on her, and she falls um, as she was being held up by her hair. She dives through its legs and escapes uh, the encounter, throwing a heavy rock and knocking off the monster, <laughs> knocking the monster off balance in the process, which I can only assume must have happened because the monster's kind of still messed up from having to cram itself through the rock face, because in every other instance, the monster is huge and hulking and strong, and I can't imagine a little girl throwing a rock would knock it off balance. So I have to make that mental leap to think maybe it still was a little bit off kilter from its grab. Corey then catches up. Uh, he's, he's a decent tracker. He's found her trail, and he has, found, has tracked her to this secret enclave. He doesn't notice the monster because the monster is now uh, underwater. It has fallen into the river from being knocked off balance. The water we see washes, washes away the filth, this weird muck and slime, and it disincorporates the monster. The monster, for its part, as it's underwater, thinks, as it's being sort of washed away and taken apart, that, you know, this is... Uh, that it's, this is its purpose in life, and that it's, it's done. And as, it, as it's being washed away, we see that underneath all of the slime and muck on its body is a human skeleton. Now, this story came highly recommended. It's, it was a, a favored piece, and I think even the cover story for the, weird, uh, for the Unknown magazine, which it was published in. I, as I re read it, found the narrative to be easy to follow, but that there were a lot of forced coincidences, leaps in logic, just bizarre behavior of the characters that kept me from really getting into it and loving it as much as other people seem to. But nevertheless, it does exhibit a lot of the telltale features of the swamp monster. Uh, it is immune to bullets. It can sort of disperse its body in weird ways. It can meld with the earth. Um, it has a lot of the characteristics that we see from other other creatures like it later on, like Swamp Thing <clears throat> or some other comic book characters. So it really is an interesting as a first in horror literature for the first sort of animated malevolent vegetation. Its origin, however, is kind of perplexing. It doesn't seem to ever get an explanation on why the skeleton within it, which we must presume is the missing grandfather from the paper, from the missing hunting lodge that the little man was looking for, why it sparked this unlife or this sort of bizarre paralife type creature. Um, and that really is the main thing I, I hung up on uh, with it anyway. But uh, nevertheless, we must appreciate it as, uh, as the literary first of the swamp monster. And for that, I think it is, it is quite cool and worth a read. It's very quick. I recommend it.
If you enjoy this podcast and learning about the strange works of horror that have brought us to where we are today, I implore you to take a moment and write a review for the show. It'll help more people find out about it, and the more people we can get interested in this stuff, the better. And, hey, if you appreciate podcasts that are advertisement-free, like this one, and want to say thanks, or if you want to reach out and make a recommendation for the show, uh, feel free to email me at author at matthewtancic.com or click on the contact button on matthewtancic.com. There'll be links to both of those things in the show notes. And lastly, if you want to stay up to speed on this or any of my other creative projects, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I tweet at T-A-N-Z 444. That's TANS 444. Um, hey, feel free to shoot something my way. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks for joining me. Thank you.